Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to today's show. I am You know, I'm always excited to be here, and today I am even more excited because truly one of the joys of my show is when authors ask to be on my show for launch day, and I don't always say yes because for me, when I read somebody's book, when even if it's a friend that wants to be on show on launch day, I really have to get really quiet with myself, with my soul and say, does this honor my listeners? Does it honor me? Does it honor everybody that's going to hear what I have to say? And I am overjoyed (laughs) that I get to have this woman on the other end of the screen on my show today on launch day. Christine Kane is here with us today, everybody. Her book, The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur. Mind-blowing. Can you, can everybody see how much I have done to the book just in reading it to prep for the show? These are also pages, Christine, that I need to go back to to pay more attention to because when I read for the show, I read at a completely different level wow, yeah. than when I read for myself because I read for the show as if I'm my listeners in addition to myself so that I can ask you really amazing questions. So the the subtitle for the book is everybody an unconventional sex success I cannot talk cuz I'm so excited. <laughs> an unconventional success plan for the highly creative, secretly sensitive and wildly ambitious soul-sourced entrepreneur. I want to give a shout out to John David Mann for telling me I had to have you on the show. Oh, and we love John David Mann. I love him. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I, you know, today is launch day and your book is a number one new release on Amazon. It is a um, bestseller and an international bestseller on at least three international charts I checked just on Amazon alone. Thank you. Thank you. So that is, is an amazing thing. This book is truly inspired. I mean, I read a lot of books, as you can imagine. I do my show every week. I get books from so many people saying, here's my new book. If I read one or two books a week, that's probably the minimum. This has to be on everybody. This should be the the Thanksgiving gift. This should be the (laughs) holiday gift. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, I'm not even sure where to start with this except for an don't laugh at me. I'm going to start at the end. Okay. okay. There is one question that you posed at the towards the end of the book that I think is one of the most brilliant questions ever posed. And since my show is all about the questions, I just, you know, I have to share this. You said, what do I know that I'm pretending not to know? That question to me, Christine hit me so hard because I've been in flux for a lot of years now. And it made me think about these moments in my life where in order to maybe make somebody else feel better about themselves Mm -hmm. or me avoid making a decision, I would pretend not to know something. Mm -hmm. 
Can you expand on this concept, please? Because I feel like it is a key to your entire book to help people go from what they feel they should be to who they really are. So the foundation of the book, the whole thing is broken up into four sections. And the four sections are based in an acronym. And that acronym is I'm in. And that was something that I came up with with my friend Pamela Bruner, who I was telling her how I coach people and how it's all about getting them to stop avoiding their little dark side corners and the fact that they do things to get approval or the fact that they're selling things sort of half-assed. And I told her it's really about being in relationship with your business. And so she just looked at me and she said, I'm in. And that became what I teach my clients and it became the foundation of the book. But when you say like pretending not to know, and that is a question I've heard other people say as well. I don't want to take credit that I came up with that. But the pretending not to know thing is what so many of us do is that we separate parts of ourselves. We separate, we, we avoid our business. We do, we play little games, I think, sometimes in our business or we do things out of integrity or out of authenticity. And it's a lot about not being willing to see clearly. Mm. And a soul-sourced entrepreneur is willing to see things clearly and, and, and really own all parts of yourself because the, the entrepreneur is the core of the whole business. It's the energy of the whole business. And it's not just me that says that. That's everyone from Dan Sullivan to Steve Jobs to whomever you hear talk about. Your right. your focus and presence and energy matters. And so I think a lot of us spend a lot of times, a lot of time, and waste a lot of energy and make things way more complex by not turning and facing either what we're pretending not to know or what we don't want to know about ourselves or <laughs> or why we're acting the way we are and why we're making decisions in our business the way we are. It, to me, it's this really fascinating concept, what you were just talking about. And what's really cool about it is if we become intentional about what we're saying, and we've, I've talked about this on my show before, what we're saying to ourselves, in addition to what, what we're saying to our others, that's important. But it's what we're not saying to ourselves, what we're not believing about ourselves that we know our truth, that the way you put it in, in the soul source entrepreneur is in a way I've never read it before. Mm, good. And it's, it's a hard thing to write about, I will say, because each of us, and I know you know this because I've talked with you before and you're, you've already shown me what a, a coach you are to people. Thank you. But we all do this in our everyday work, every one of us. And I always say this, it's not a book about coaching, but I say that all of us in our business in some ways are coaches. And so as coaches, we have to be very self-aware of our own ego when it comes up. And we also have to be aware of other people and let them sort of be how they are. And I'm going to be honest with you, I completely lost what the question, what you were talking about. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> Still been there. I, I have a thing of just like, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to pretend and be like, because all of a sudden my brain went, you just went somewhere. You had no idea. Like, you don't know where you are anymore. And then I'm like, I'm not going to fake this. I'm not going to fake this because that's what this is about. Yeah. Um, 
no. were talking about ego. But you were talking about something that triggered that in me. Um, and now I don't remember. We can let it go and just know it okay. wasn't meant it, it'll to come be back. Fed. Yes, it, it, it will, will come back. And, and that, that's perfect because that leads to this idea that came up for me during the book because I've never heard anybody really talk to that except for um, Brandon Webb who wrote Mastering Fear with John David Mann. I don't know if okay. you've read yes. that book yet. If you haven't, yes. oh my God, you got it. And I just remembered what I was going to say. So we okay, can go. go back to go it. Ahead. No, I mean, well, what I w when you were saying that to coach people in the moment is one thing, but to then take it and make it, make it into a framework and turn it into concepts someone can use that when they're not waiting for you to answer their question. Like, so coaching in the moment is one thing, but then sitting down and saying 10 years of coaching people, how do I put it all into one book and one thing that speaks to people is a whole other animal. And so part of, part of me as I was doing that was like, oh, this is so weird. This is going to be the weirdest book for people. This is the strangest thing. And I had friends who were like, no, just it's special. <laughs> just it's special. It's just different. Stop calling it weird. But it is the work we do behind the scenes with our clients, with our team, with ourselves, is stuff that no one talks about out there, unless it's just sort of like some vague concept of law of attraction, but it's really the deep stuff that, that it really matters and brings us whether or not we're going to succeed or not, and all the little ways we like play games, play small, hide, or whatever. So I hope that made sense and added to the conversation. I just want to say this straight out. It's after reading this book, I pray, literally pray, that the word weird goes away <laughs> forever when we talk about a business with soul. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm done with that. I don't yeah. know. I, I think you are too, Christine. Because yeah, I am. I am. I totally am. It's not. But I'm, it's not. Not the, well. The book is not woo at all. No. Um, yeah. It's so. not weird thinking about your soul, what you need from your business, who you are as a human being on the planet, and running your business your way while still understanding, as you call it, the strategy track, which is all the tactics, the business, the numbers. The best businesses that were created on this planet, the biggest ones, were created because of the soul track, as you call it. And I'd like you to talk about those differences. But I mean, HP started out of a garage. Apple with Jobs and Wozniak. Amazon, the guy was packing boxes in his garage. That was a soul thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about a, a couple of concrete things from the book. This idea of strategy track versus soul track. What are they and why are they important that you have both? Okay. So early on in my coaching, um, I have a company called Up Level U and I have clients who are small business owners, solo business owners. And as much as I, I and I had been a musician prior to that, so I'd learned a lot about succeeding as a right brain creative type. And no matter how much strategy I offered somebody, I started to realize that the thing that stops everyone in their track is this other unidentifiable, unidentifiable or nameable thing. And so I started to say, you know, every business has two tracks. We have the strategy track, which is, as you said, the stuff we typically associate with business, your marketing, 
your sales, your systems, your team, your client, onboarding stuff, everything. But And that's where everyone thinks business resides, but ignores this key element I just talked about, which is the emotions, the creativity, the energy of the person in charge, the entrepreneur, the owner. And so the soul track comes in when you see something, like a simple example, when you tell somebody to raise their prices, strategy, come on, just raise your prices, triple your prices, whatever. But if somebody has a lot of like, they come from a background where there's a lot of lack mentality. They come from a background like I did, the academic background, like a ton of academia. There's a lot of shame around making money, a lot of shame around asking for the sale. And so if someone doesn't look at that, we've got to enter the soul track. And that's your mindset, your energy, your message, your authenticity. And it's all of the stuff that really influences. It's almost like having barnacles on your strategy track. And so we got to really look at those and really kind of create wiggle room around them at first and then have somebody understand, oh, this is not true. This is just old patterns. This is just old conditioning. And that's when the strategy track, and I always say when the strategy track and the soul track are aligned and working, then everything clicks in your business. Yet, What I've seen often with my clients and with people I've met at events where I've keynoted, they come up to me, they feel that there's no way those two tracks can be interlaced into one, that they either have to be all business or all in their soul. Let's just Mm -hmm. keep using that word soul. So there's the wishful thinking thing. Yeah. 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 I've never believed they need to be separate. I feel the, the most successful companies and the ones where the entrepreneurs don't burn out are the ones where they're so deeply into, I can't, how do you, there we go. That thing, you know, they're so (laughs) deeply intertwined that they're one and and the same. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this because I, it's it's such a core lesson. All right, let's talk about, you talked about the strategy track and you track, talked about your soul track, right? But ego often gets involved with an entrepreneur and the soul part has a tendency, this feeling of, I know this is right for my business, but... This can't be right for my business, but how do you answer that when you're talking to uh, a client you're coaching to let them know that that but, that yet, that is critical to the success? Well, in terms of just coaching somebody one-on-one, I don't ever try to answer it. Like, I don't try to sort of show up with a, like, what when they're stuck, they, there's a real hard energy to it of, like, I know this, and that's the doubt. That's whatever you're describing, ego doubt. If I try to match that with, like, another thing, I'm more certain than you. I'm more, you know, I have more conviction than you. They smash into each other. What I try to do is, like, exit the that whole zone altogether and really get them to understand what it starts to feel, what it feels like to trust your intuition, where, where that is so like in for instance with writing this book for me I'm I, you know I've been in Dan Sullivan's masterminds I've I've sat with you know all of his amazing entrepreneurs in the room and one of the key things that is like almost assumed if you own a company is that you will not write your own book 
and you will go and we will write your book in two weeks or something like that, or you'll get a ghostwriter or something like that. And something in me, and this is that thing of like, I'm, I, I was a songwriter before this. I have that little artist side and I kept going, oh, I want to write my, I, I want to write my own book. And then it battles the voice like, but, but someone else would say that's a waste of time. It's not strategic, you know, whatever it might be. And this is where the mind can go back and forth and the mind can go back and forth. But this self-awareness, there starts to be something much deeper, much louder and much stronger that pulls you. And it comes to where when you get enter that, it doesn't even almost feel like a decision anymore. It's like there is, there is something deeper that you start to be called by that's not every business strategist out there says this or someone else might tell me I'm this. Like all the things that drive you. And so a lot of us have old conditioning and where I try not to meet the doubt is I try to have them see the conditioning, the patterns that keep them stuck, the things that are pretending to be true, to go back to that word pretending, what they're pretending not to know, where they can release the stronghold of the thing that's saying, you can't do that. You can't have that. And, and there's a bunch of other questions in the book. And sure. since you're about questions, it's like, if other people's opinions and money were not an issue, what would I do here? You know, there's so many ways to work around that, but we have to find the wiggle room outside of these the patterns, conditions, dogmatic approaches to everything so that we can really trust that the business we're building is based in something bigger than what every left brain tells us to do. Because the brain has two sides and they're mm -hmm. supposed to work together and not yeah. off on their own in a tangent. I mean, your personal story is a true testament to that as well and your growth as an entrepreneur. You mentioned you were a songwriter and I did not know that till after we had met and everything because for the last couple of years, I've not been able to listen to music at all because the ups and downs of the music trigger my sound-induced vertigo which from somebody who used to have a subscription to the Metropolitan Opera in mm. New York City and all that, yeah. you can imagine like this thing that's missing in my life from that. But your book was like a song to me. Oh, thank you. It literally read like the most beautiful song. Thank you. That but is such high praise. Thank you. Your career as a songwriter was not something that you had given voice to either. So, I mean, now your, your book is a song, but your songwriter story, can you, I think it's important. I'm feeling like it's really important for you to share for people a little bit of your story about how you really just sort of battled the odds, <laughs> even with the songwriting. And yeah. it was like, there was something so strong inside of you that you had suppressed for so long mm -hmm. that finally just volcano <laughs> flew yeah. out of you. But that's not really how it happens, right? It's not this volcano that erupts. It's these listenings to these moments and giving intention and voice to them. So can you share a bit of, of your story? For my listeners. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if you know David Goggins' book, Don't Hurt, uh, Can't Hurt Me. But um, when I was reading that, I was like, wow, we have, the, we have such similar, there's such a similar story there, but so many, so different, so many different ways you can approach all the little mm -hmm. obstacles and, and so many patterns for how to do that. But for me, um, yeah, I, I started uh, all of this really deeply questioning. So I was a, 
I was a theology major in college. That was one of my majors. And I was always, I went to a Jesuit college. I was, I was always drawn to like the crazy whacked out mystical Jesuits and, and just sort of wondering what is, what is there? Of course, the ones who really get it instead of just all up here teaching it. Yeah. And, um, and I think I've always been sort of asking the bigger questions to, to speak to your podcast title. And when I got out of college and I got my first job, there was, and I talk about this in the book, there was a, a huge moment in my life where I just said, you got to be kidding me. Like this, this cannot be what life is about. Cause I just looked around and it just, it just seemed like there was a level of crazy out there in terms of, yes, you will slave yourself to this and you will do this. And I, the adults around my whole world had been that. And so to break out of a tribe for, I know we're not supposed to say that word, but it's a, it's a, like, a paradigm and uh, to use Carolyn Mace calls it that tribal mentality. Like you are a part of us. This is who you are to really, really start to do that. I think is the first movement and it takes so much. It's, it takes so much power to get to, to really say, I'm going to break out of this. And what I did at that time was I quit the job when they gave me a raise. I was working at Ogilvy and Mather PR. I had all kinds of like you my firm. ego liked it. Yeah. My my ego loved it, and the adults around me seemed to love it, but I was so deeply miserable inside, and nobody seemed to mind that. Like, they're okay if you're miserable, but as long as you can say the, the right things and seem impressive, then that's good. And when I did that, when I left that, I had to face down not having a position, not having a title, not having anything to lean on. I was now officially in my in my the world of my family and friends and everything that I had set up, I was now a total loser. And I moved to Asheville and I started playing music and I kind of let everybody stop talking to me. They thought I'd lost my mind, you know, and I had to, that's, I'm a, I have a little bit of a need for approval. Like I have that thing. Like <laughs> That's one like of the most things of us, I know. know. And, and it was, it was, it, I can talk about it now and laugh about it because I came out of it, but it was devastating to me at the time. I questioned myself constantly. And the thing that drove me forward was that intention of there has to be more to life than these limiting beliefs, than this limiting stuff. And I moved to a town before Asheville got huge because uh, everyone's coming to Asheville now. Right. And I met, like, it was almost like angels. Like, I, I really do believe that when you take that step forward, the universe takes the step toward you. And so for me, what happened was I started just meeting people who were like, yeah, of course, play music. That's great. What It wasn't a big deal. Whereas in when I grew up in Northern Virginia, everyone was like, well, do you know the chances of you even making it? Do you know how much money you won't make? You know, and there was so much I had to go through and that, and along with, you know, healing an eating disorder and other things that I was going through at that time, kind of popped me up and out of it. And really, I say in the book, bulimia was my first business coach because it really taught me the healing process of that while building a music, music career taught me how to be really super present to everything I was pretending not to know at that time. When I read the bulimia story in your book, I'm, I'm not bulimic. I have my own addictions to food and sugar and, and that kind of stuff and to mm -hmm. some not so great thoughts in my head lately. It, it shifted me, right? It shifted me with this whole idea of intention 
with where am I placing my thoughts? What power am I giving to something else? When I started taking care of my mom and put everything on hold for six years to take care of her, and I, I started the radio show during that time. I was on broadcast radio during that time because it was my way of using my brain and doing something outside because I made this choice, but there was this disconnect, right? Because I wanted to be out there. I wanted to be back on stages. I wanted to be doing all these things, but I needed, needed to be with my mom because mm -hmm. she was my best friend, my soulmate and my mom. And when I read that section of the book, I started thinking about how I also used it as an excuse to not be. Oh, yeah. Right? And that I'm kind of still using it. And I wish I had a box of tissues here right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder how many of my listeners out there are using, let's just, we're in COVID right now, mm -hmm. are using COVID as an excuse for not accessing something they want to do for not being able to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. My ear with the sound-induced vertigo, it was a perfect excuse for me not to go anywhere, not yeah. to do anything. And um, that says I couldn't write another book, <laughs> right? There's nothing that says I couldn't prepare some courses with some of the stuff that I do, but I didn't because I had an excuse not to. I'm admitting that for the first time on the air, Christine. So thank you. And I think you brought up a really good point here because um, the whole idea, I think, with COVID, there's two different ways I would see that. One is that this year has brought people very much face-to-face -face with what truly matters in their work, in their business, who they want to work with, what they're no longer willing to tolerate. And also, it, I think for some people, um, it, in at up level where I, where my my coaching company, we've talked religiously with our clients about what we call the COVID goggles, yeah. which is where the whole world now becomes like, ah, I don't have to do that. I'm not going to do that. like everything is just ah, COVID, you know. Right. And um, and you know, where are you using that? And I think self awareness is pretty key here of like, which is that for you? But you know, we can also say great, there are no mistakes. If you've had this awareness, what a wonderful thing. But too often people then use it, like back to the pretending not to know thing, when they know something and they see it, what happens is the ego steps in and becomes super ego and then starts beating the crap out of you for doing it, which ultimately does nothing but sort of make you go back down. But if you see something like that clearly about yourself, like how have I been using this or what, what excuses have I been making? A, a different way to then come deal, you know, be with that honesty is to sort of say, how could I now take steps that are not based in shame, self-hatred, punishing myself, because that's just going to create another right. uh, happy layer of that pattern. And so like for me, what happened, and I'll share you my story was after the bul bulimia I stopped working out. I stopped going to gyms. I stopped doing any, any, I, mean, I'm, I was still a musician at the time, but once I'd healed it, I was like, I can't go to the gym because I'm so OCD that I'll just become an exercise addict and go right back right. to the behaviors. And there was one point where I sat there and I went, 
oh my God, I'm using that as an excuse because then I'm not letting myself do anything. And I, and so I asked myself, what would it look like if you stepped into relationship with this thing again and you went and worked out? And what if you got crazy? Oh my God, you'd get over it soon. Like, okay, let's try it. And I did. And going through that next level of, oh, now I am feeling crazy with exercise. Okay, now I'm not. And realized we always have the power to come back and face ourselves and be with ourselves and and say, do I want this behavior to continue? We're all so frightened of ourselves and and but but we're all running around with these same little things that go on. You know, we all have them. So when we turn inward and look at them, share them, put them out there, and then step forward anyway. There's so much growth and, and expansion that comes and success too. Like you said, you know, oh, I could write a book now. Yeah. And, you know, I did my show every week, even when sometimes I literally almost blacked out during the show. Mm. Um, and I coached some clients and I, I moderated a panel online. You know, I, I did some things, but it was almost like I did them because they literally were forced upon me right? My show, I have to do. This is how my thinking was. And this is why I love this book. Everybody, okay, Soul Source Entrepreneur launching today. She's already a best-selling author, but let's let's make her New York Times. You know my list. You guys can do this. Let's make New York Times bestseller. But in here, there's so many questions that the way you present them, at least for me, made me think. Made me think a little bit differently. Um, why is what you don't want as important as what you do? I mean, that to me was powerful because, you know, I tell my clients that, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes what you don't want can get you to what you do. And they're like, no, no, no. But yet when I read it in the context you presented it, it made me think I have more don't wants, right? And I think that's do once, but that's okay. Yeah. I think one of the, I think the disservice that a lot of the law of attraction stuff has put out there is that there's this fear of having any negativity or any dark stuff or any, you know, and everyone's running around trying to plaster everything together and say positive things. (laughs) And with intention, the way I teach intention in, in the book, as you've seen, is that I have intention toward, which is one way to do intention. I see that thing. I have a client who created a an association for neonatal therapists that's now huge. I watched her do it from the very beginning. She knew she wanted to do that. That's intention toward. Intention from is what I just described with my cubicle job, where I said, you got to be kidding me if this is what I'm doing. Where you look at the thing you don't want and you let that propel you toward, uh, toward something else. But I think we've all been so scared to admit, well, I don't want this and I don't want this. And what you can do is let those things that aren't working in your business move you to what will work for your business because they're there as messages too. It's not all just think up a thing and then go toward it and avoid anything negative. But if you don't, if there's stuff in your life that you're tolerating, it really does help to turn around and look at it and say, all right, how is it? How, what do I need to change in my business? That has been a gift of COVID. A lot of people have said, I've, you know, I've shaved down my team. I've gotten lean. I've, I, we were just bleeding money and I didn't know it. And there's been a lot of wake up calls out there this year. So that is the good that can come from it for, for business owners too. Yeah. I've said to some of my, my friends 
in, in the tech world who keep coming to me saying, you know, I've got these employees. I don't know what to do with them. They're, they're like this weight. I said, COVID's the perfect excuse to get rid of them. <laughs> if you can't make that choice on your own because you're struggling with it, use it as an excuse, but just don't stay in that excuse. And what you just described there is a perfect example of the soul track for someone who has the engineer mind. Like everyone thinks it's all about just thinking logically and da, 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 and you should have this many people on your team and not ever tolerate anyone. And yet when you get behind the scenes at some of these places, it's like, I've got so many employees that they aren't working and they're really rude and whatever, and they're tolerating it. That's something to go deeper with and say, all right, what's going on here? What's, what are you, what are you not willing to face in your business? What are you avoiding here? And, and sometimes you have a built-in excuse like COVID and sometimes you don't. And I often say to my clients that when you don't, it's even more powerful because you are forced to step into clarity and say, my preferences as a business owner are enough. Bottom line. And most people aren't willing to do that. They get all scared and, oh, what are you, it's either what are people going to think or what if it doesn't work? And at least someone's there, you know. The first time I fired somebody from my company, I was <sighs> petrified. And when I made the choice, I was actually in Florida and I needed to fly back to Connecticut to fire this person because <laughs> I had two offices, Connecticut and Florida. And I was trying to convince somebody else to fire them for me. <laughs> I, that's the I'm in thing. That's that's like, you go do it. And I actually worked with a client. She was about to fire someone. And she said to me on our call right before that, she goes, all right, let's just get this over with. And I stopped her and I said, no, we're not doing that. What you're going to do is you're going to recognize there's real power to be had in this conversation. And it can serve both of you if you are clear, if you stand in your preferences, if you don't make this personal. And if you're not just, because a lot of us, we, we do a disservice to people by just trying to avoid, right? You know, to, to quote another book, the fierce conversation that needs to happen. And I think there can be a real true honoring of, wow, look at me making a big move here. Being an adult, having a conversation, seeing somebody. I think it's really good when we have to go through those uncomfortable things like firing somebody and letting somebody go and even letting somebody hate you. Yeah. Letting someone not agree with you. Like that, you know, even though this person lost you, you know, $60,000 this year and whatever, and they go out in, you know, in flames, just throwing stuff at you and freaking out. And you sit there and say, this is the best thing. And some of my clients and me too, like you do that and you're shaking, but at least you did, like you stood in it. And at some point, if you can hire someone to do that stuff for you, all the better. And, um, but you want to make sure they're doing it the right way too. And they're being present. Uh, the best thing I ever did was being forced to fly up there and fire that person. Because the moment I did it, number one, I felt so at peace. <laughs> there is no client I've ever had that said, boy, I wish I'd waited longer to fire that person. Yeah, exactly. Ever, ever has that happened. Yeah. And yeah. The person Immediately. En yeah. yeah. And the person end up getting a, a, the perfect job for them in a different industry that they totally loved and it made a huge difference for them. So it's, like you said, it's, it's such an important part. I think every person should have to fire somebody, whether it's inside your company or in your personal life. I mean, how many of us have had it's so true. a friend yeah. or a hairdresser or, you know, because I had some really bad haircuts <laughs> that, 
you know, it's, it's like, why do you keep going back to that person? They keep giving you a horrible haircut. Why don't you say something to them? And they're like, oh, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know, or something. Well, you know, then just move on, people. Yes. Well, it's the, I mean, I did a whole section in the book about somebody keeping some, uh, an employee on out of that same thing. And I think mm -hmm. most of us, our lives, part of why we create what I call the business barnacles is because of that. There are so many things we're doing and we're not in integrity. We're not willing to stand in our own clarity. We're not willing to have the fierce conversation. And so we, therefore, we, we, we have to then do all sorts of other little things to fix the fact that we're not telling the truth in this one area or we're not being clear with this one employee or whatever. And, and the act of firing someone, why it's so beautiful, it's not because, oh, good, everyone gets to experience you know, being an ass. It's not about that. It's about being clear, standing in and having a clear conversation, whereas our whole culture is set up to just be nice, not say a word, never be clear, and don't ever get judged. And therefore, you have a team of people who are not doing the job, not building your company, and you are getting more, you know, you're drinking more and more glasses of wine at night and, yeah. and not treating yourself healthily because of all the things that are eating your own energy. All right, let's let's expand upon that concept. The eating your own energy, the drinking the more wine, the doing all these behaviors that really are a lot of avoidance behaviors because as you What am I pretending not to know? Yeah. <laughs> then I'm pretending not to know. Yeah. The decisions you're avoiding. Mm -hmm. Because it just seems easier not to make the decision. Mhm. Mm the section on your book towards the end of the book about decisions was truly inspired. Thank you. Truly, truly inspired. I, I would love for you to share this whole idea of decision filter because I'm sensing from my listeners that they don't get it, that a lot of them right now are, with their businesses, they're just avoiding decisions that they need to make. Decisions that have been building for years, way before COVID, and now COVID has hit, and they're still like, I can't make that decision. I don't want to make that decision because they're so afraid of what's on the other side yeah. of the decision. Can you expand upon that? So yeah, and I would actually back up before Decision Filter because the, the decisions is one of the four parts of the book. It's navigating decisions. And what you're describing when someone is just letting their wheels spin in it is actually the decision filters when you've got a tough decision in front of you. But with what you're describing, I think I would, again, to go back to you know the questions, it's Perfect. all about the questions, it would be uh, to start with someone by simply saying, what am I tolerating? And if we're starting a new year, a great question is, what am I no longer willing to tolerate? And both of those can really take you in different directions, but really getting clear, like we, on, on my retreats, we start our second morning often with a little tool I created. And when they get the book, they get to download a lot of these tools that's, that's on my uh, book page and it's in, in the book too. But the, the thing that I start with is the question, what am I tolerating? And you look at all areas of your life. Now, when you said, but they people are so scared it won't work out, we have to first stop 
and step back and tell the truth. Because even like when you describe someone who's not making the decision, what's happening is energetically, they're doing this. <laughs> and they're making us all watch them go like this, you know, it's <laughs> everywhere. And I look, look, smoke and mirrors, smoke and mirrors. And when you sit down and they, they write it down and they say, what am I tolerating? Suddenly there's no more games and whatever. And the awareness, it starts here and then it starts to come and they can no longer pretend not to see how that inability to make that decision, that refusal to make that decision, that need to be liked, the fear of firing somebody, all that stuff. You can't avoid it anymore. It starts to become the deeper energy, to go back to what we were talking about, that moves you toward it. And you'll do it and you'll do it scared and you'll be so much happier that you've done it because you know, everyone knows the decision you're avoiding, the thing you're refusing to change. I mean, even on the most simple, simplistic level of it, right? <laughs> Somebody says to you, what do you want to eat for dinner tonight? And you refuse to say, I want tacos or I want prime rib or I want falafel. You know what you want most of the time. You some just, people do. Some people don't. Yeah. I think there are some people who genuinely don't like they, they have found a comfort zone in not having a preference. Yeah. But you I, seem like a woman who would know what she wanted for dinner. Most of the time, although yeah. I get in food moods where I, I just, I don't know what I want because there's But just, I want something, yeah. I want something, but I don't know what it is I want. And, and the last few months, it's been even more of that because I can't just go out somewhere and get it. But, you know, I, I use it as, like I said, a very simplistic example. Of yeah. If you get quiet with yourself, which you importantly talk about with your bored, get bored um, idea, if you get quiet with yourself, you kind of know what you don't want to eat. You kind of know more aligned with what you want. You know, do I kind of want Italian? Do I kind of want Mexican? Do I kind of want a burger? Or no way in heck do I want um, Thai food. One of my friends, she always goes, I don't want Thai food. I don't like Thai food. And I'm like, I love Thai food, you know? <laughs> Intention from. It, yeah. yeah. The, the, like, I don't want that. Well, what I say to people with those little simple decisions, whether it's your nail color or your dinner preference, if they have a hard time having preferences and choosing things, I always say to practice, and this is the, everything that we do as a practice, is to practice making the decision and then living through and finding out you don't die that you didn't get the shrimp or that you got, you know, Vamsterdam on your nails instead of, you know, maraschino cherry and you didn't like it as much, you know, wow, amazingly you live through it. Like, and, and watch all of the little things that come up of like, I didn't like this nail color. I didn't, I should have gotten that or whatever. That's part of the pattern. And the fact that you beat yourself up so much or whatever it is you do after you've made a decision, that's something to really watch. It's part of the self-awareness and yes, little decisions matter. But we end, we tend to think that little decisions don't matter. And and I've never been able to adequately explain to even myself sometimes why those little decisions matter even more sometimes than the big decisions. So why is that? Because the energy, it's still energy. It's still human energy. And so when you look and we're looking at you when I'm not just talking about a concept. So inside of you, I mean, let's, so one of the exercises in the book 
is called the Sunday Summit. It's our most popular tool at Uplevel. And I, you can download it once you get the book and all that stuff. But one of, the, one of the little segments of the Sunday Summit, which is a meeting you have with yourself every Sunday, is unmade decisions where you're actually looking at that. Mm-hmm. And the reason it matters, even for small things, is that unmade decisions take energy. Like if we, the way I describe it in the book is that it's like putting your car up on cinder blocks, throwing a giant brick on the gas pedal and letting the car just run and run and run. Because what's happening in the back of your head is that it, something's just running and running and running. And one of the examples in the book is some my client who was doing an event and she hadn't decided on what she was going to serve, whether it's a buffet or a sit-down meal. And, and, and she couldn't move forward with her event. And we realized it was this decision that was just chewing up so much energy. And it, it was a, not a huge decision. It was, just wasn't that big, but she just couldn't deal. And we all have that. Those of us who are entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs tend to be a little on the ADD side. And so everything is just like now in front of us. And it's very hard to make decisions about later. And so we don't, and then it just chews up energy. And so everything that we do, I'm very keen on making very intentional decisions just, or if you need to, just making a fast decision and not letting it eat up at you afterwards. Like if you think, oh, that was a wrong decision. And of course you get better at big decisions by trusting yourself in small decisions. Okay. There's a process you lay out in the book about how to even know what decisions you need to make. Um, you, you used it a bit in the story about your, your client who had the event and about lunch and, and the buffet. For somebody who doesn't have a coach, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do they figure out what mm-hmm. decisions are the ones that are maybe stopping them from making other decisions? There's like these underlying things yeah. that are constantly there. All right. So I'm going to call out a, a phrase you used that I think is where we often get stuck. And you use the words figure out. And when it comes to coaching, coaching is not often about figuring out. And I think when we talk about figuring out, we stay up in the brain. We stay locked here and we think that's where our answers come from. But our insights don't come from up here, figuring out, having an answer. And so the I when we talk about decisions that are unmade, things that we don't even know because we're so unclear, it's often because we are so up here trying to find all our answers in our life. And so when I mentioned the Sunday Summit, that weekly practice is geared to take you out of up here and bring you down into here, bring you down into here. And it's self-awareness that is everything. And so the the Sunday Summit, like I just described, has that section about the unmade decisions, but it has it has a process that you go through. And the idea is that as you do it more cumulatively and you do it week after week, you become your own coach. You start to self-coach because you start to see patterns and you start to celebrate successes and you start to feel different energy around things. And then suddenly the unmade decisions, the things that you've always just sort of thrown back there because you've been trying up here to figure it out, they become, I know it's hard to trust me on this, but they become almost like you read them inside of you first. Like you, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. But you got to start up here with the sun, like with a practice like the Sunday summit. It doesn't have to be that one, but always like a self summit, some kind of meeting with the self once a week. The reason coaching works is because you're regularly sort of having a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> like It's kind of like, 
here I am, you know, facing me. Right. Here's my thing. And if you've ever had a coach and you haven't done your work that week, God, you'll try to avoid, you'll try to do whatever, or, you know, but when you sit down with yourself and you just are honest and real and you have the perfect questions to, to ask yourself, it starts to create a habit and you start to become somebody who understands themselves. And Gary Vaynerchuk uses the term self-awareness all the time. He says it's the number one key trait every entrepreneur needs to have is self-awareness. And when I sat down to write this book, my thing was, I'm going to, that's such a nebulous concept, even though we all get it, I'm going to make this what someone really can become by showing them how. Like that was sort of the thing, is really trusting yourself, really knowing who you, who you are and what's really going on behind the curtains here. And that's, it's really the practice of it to answer your question. Well, I think that it's so perfect that you went there from what I asked, because, you know, when we started the interview, I started at the back of your book, right? Mm -hmm. With the, the question you asked, what do I know that I'm pretending not to know? And what you just talked about, really, you go beautifully into um, the prelude to your song of your book, if that's the right music phrase, <laughs> about intention. And... You talked about, and I'm, I'm looking at my note because I want to make sure I get this right, okay? The primary blocks to living your intention, to achieving your intention are very subtle. And you've mentioned this earlier, this intention towards versus intention from. Brent, um, Brandon Webb with John David Mann who wrote a book called Mastering Fear. And I mentioned that at the beginning as well. And then we went into a different direction, which is totally fine. But he talks about how if you're afraid of swimming, you sh and he's a Navy SEAL, mm -hmm. right? And he revamped SEAL training school and brought mindfulness into it. And this man said, the way to get over the fear of swimming is not to dive into the deep end of the pool with nothing to hold on to. It's Step into the water, holding on to the side, which I gather is your intention toward. Sometimes you still have to hold on and you're still looking at where you're coming from. And every so often you kind of glimpse back and go, oh, okay, I'm getting a little further away. It's okay. It's okay. And then at some point you turn around and you're not holding on anymore. Yeah. You're seeing the other shore. But the moments from um, I've stepped into the water and I'm holding on to the side for dear life because I'm afraid of the water to I've turned myself the other way and I'm facing the other shore, but I'm still in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> right. So now I'm jumping out and I'm not in the boat anymore. We don't often see what you call those primary blocks those subtle things that want to keep us holding on. How does somebody allow themselves to see that block? Because I feel like it's an allowing, mm -hmm. but we've programmed yeah. ourselves. And I don't know if it is your get bored time that you talk about on page 84 in the book or if it's, you know, your business backstage stuff, which I love. There's so many things that I could talk about in a whole nother interview with you. But I feel that 
we need to talk about this because people beat themselves up because I didn't see the signs. I didn't, I just let myself stay blocked. Yeah, there's so many levels to answer that question. From I know. Because the thing is, it comes back to, I mean, it comes back to everything we've already talked about. <clears throat> the temptation is to think that there is a left brain answer. Like, here's your little index card with your next step, your next step, your next step. The, the pretending not to know, the reason we do that so much is because we, I think there's a lot of fear of what's really in here. And there's a lot of really fear that I don't really know what the hell I'm doing, which let's be honest, none of us really do when it comes down to it. I mean, we yeah. act like we do, but only because we have retrospect, you know, we can look back and go, oh, that's why all that happened. But in the moment, as you're moving forward, you don't. And the way I look at it is instead of saying, well, you know, how, how do I make sure I see all these things as they come up? And what you make sure you're doing is being really present to them. And so mm. for me, it's the, the I'm in. Why that is the core of the book is that this is constantly a come back to center, come back home, as, as Tara Brock says in her, when she does meditations, you're coming back home, you're coming back to you and you're knowing yourself and you're starting to catch yourself faster. And you're starting to see that block before it becomes huge. And you're going, oh, wait, here, I'm doing that thing again. And then what, what we tend to do that locks it in place is we beat ourselves up for it. But what you really can do is say, what action am I going to take different this time? And the, the answer to your question, as disappointing as it might sound, is, is know yourself. And that's what, I mean, like I said, that's what this book is really about. It's like stop being so scared of, of things. And we've all fallen on our asses. We will all fall on them again. There will be things that work great and there'll be things that don't work great. But the truth about it is that none of it means you are a bad or a good human being, which is what I think we are all so terrible. We all are so busy pasting all of these like, this is how great I am and this is wonderful. And oh, no, I'm not so wonderful. But everything that's made you wonderful has probably been a lot of the hard stuff. <laughs> that you got through, you know? And so like worrying so much about having these things about ourselves and worrying so much about what if this decision I make isn't good? Like there has to be a point where you just move forward, but intentional is the key. I think it really is about like knowing I'm gonna make this decision now and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna set this intention now, I'm gonna do this. But the blustering and that, like you said, like with the excuse making, the blustering and that sort of thing is how we just hide in a, in a big giant mist of pretend. <laughs> it, it, it's very, I, I opened up a specific page cause I'd like to read something from okay. your book. Okay. And everybody says, it's just a little excerpt, because, but it fits with what you're just saying. So I had to go find the tab I had put. Your spiritual self isn't thinking, and I'm going to cut, not have the cuss word when I say it. Your spiritual self isn't thinking, get that, you know what, out of the way so I can be spiritual already. No, this whole hatred of ego is ego. It's just the ego trying to sweep itself under the rug. And in that way, it keeps you focused on ego, which is its whole goal in the first place. So bring along your fear neediness, anxiety, grasping, or even, look at me, I won't tell a soul. Sometimes these are the very prompts we need to get things going in the first place. Just make sure those parts ride shotgun. 
goosebumps. Don't give them the keys to the bus, okay? I'm, I, can you see my goosebumps? <laughs> I feel like no, you should be we both to... got our little Zoom filters on so nicely. Right? We so can't, can't see anything see like that. Yes. Um, when you were just talking about what we were just talking about, your response to my question, my, my soul said, I have to read that part because we've been taught by very many other business gurus, success gurus, that we need to shut those other voices up. We need to forget about them. We need to let them go completely, never give them voice ever, ever again, and just do, right? What this says is, you know, they're a part of you. Yeah. Give them some voice. Just don't give them the keys. Yeah. And they're there. And um, that, that little segment was based on um, when I was a musician, I, I had a mentor and I was, I, I was trying to like get rid of my ego. <laughs> which is hysterical to me now. But I, I I liked the part of me that wanted to play music for all those noble reasons that we're told we should have. But I didn't like my little approval whore that was in there like trying, you know, like uh, wanting clapping and wanting applause and wanting to sell records or whatever it was. And I, my mentor basically said to me, this can all, this all gets to come along for the ride. Like, and he just said, don't give them the keys to the bus. And um, and it, it remember, I reminded me of um, there was an inside the actor's studio where Dustin Hoffman was on it, and he he describes asking Laurence Olivier why we do what we do as actors, and Laurence Olivier said Olivier said you want to know why, dear boy, and he just stopped and he said, look at me, 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 and it was like when I saw that on inside the actor's studio, I just burst out laughing because it was so freeing. Because you know what? We all have all of it. Like it's all there. And we have this almost this repression right now going on, especially I think part of it's social media. Part of it's like, look at how great I'm doing. Look at how great I'm doing. Look at how great I am now. Look at my positive attitude now. Look how wonderful I am. And it, that's fine. But it's it's rare as the person who's willing to say like, you know, like you did, like I've been taking care of my mom or I have this vertigo thing that's going on. And it's I think I always say vulnerable is the new strong. And what I wrote to my list this morning is that, you know, this is my birth of my book today. And whereas like there's a part of me that wants to go hide in bed and say, tell me when it's <laughs> over, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to do a coffee with Christine this morning on Facebook live. And I did that, but I wanted to acknowledge that it's not all just, you know, unicorns and fairies and stardust that all of that is there. It all gets to be there. So why not just, share it, you know, and obviously not in a way where you're just dumping your drama on people, right. but really understanding about yourself. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. So you're a train wreck. All right. You can still have a successful business. Steve Jobs did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I know many, many yeah. billionaires. Most entrepreneurs yeah. are. <laughs> you don't point. go into doing this without being a little warped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I live in Florida and out my backyard, I can see the launches. So oh, okay. the other night we got to see the manned crew launch, mm. which was truly spectacular. Yeah. But at the same time, 
you can see the horrors of when like the challenger blew up or something else happened the the drew the uh, crew capsule the dragon capsule you know along the way of the process of getting to where they successfully launched four people the other night and it docked last night rockets blew up things went bad that's sort of like our lives we're going to have things that are going to blow up but we don't have to say that that is the moment that defines us. Yeah. It's just a moment that moved us hopefully forward in the path. And your path today uh, and will be for a long time and has been for a long time is that you truly have brought your soul into all that you've done. Um, that moment you left Ogilvy and quit your job to become eventually a songwriter, a very successful songwriter and musician. Do it your own way, not through the traditional recording contracts and make it a huge success to up-level you where you've created your business and you wrote this amazing book, The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur. Everywhere books are sold, everybody, your local independent bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, the Strand Bookstore in New York, help any of these independent bookstores go order a copy of this book for wherever they are. Um, how else can people get in touch with you, Christine? And I know you have a website for this book as well. Yeah, it's at soulsourcedbook.com. And what we're doing, first off, all of the little indie um, places are on there as well. You can order it. At, when you go to the bottom of the page, you'll see all the different independent supporting um, bookstores as well. But what if you go to that page, you will see that what we're doing is I'm doing a three-day event, virtual event in December, 9th, 10th, and 11th. It's called Click because soul and strategy, when they work together, it clicks. And I'll be teaching, uh, it'll be very, very um, marketing strategy, pricing, packages, all that kind of stuff. And also along with it <clears throat> will be the soul track and some of the really deep work that I'm describing here, like, you know, what are you tolerating and that kind of thing. And it is a three-day retreat. It is something that's not recorded. We're, we're doing the work like in the room, but it's virtual for the first time. It's sold out here in Asheville every single year that we do it. And this is the first time I'm doing it virtually. And all you have to do to come to that is get a book. And we're, we're asking that people do the hardback because that, that helps us um, tremendously, but just get, grab a book and you can go to soulsourcedbook.com and find out how to register if you want to take part and click and we'll send you more information about the event. So you're not going to be like, you know, chained to the event once you, once you go in there and, but you'll get more information this week with all the details about it. Okay. And also remember everybody, when you buy the book, go rate, review the book, oh, tell your you. friends about the book. It's really important. Most people go, I got the book. The book was amazing. And that's as far as it goes. <laughs> Tell people about the book. And yes, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, rate it and review it and go to the, is it the Soul Source book or Soul Sourced Just book? <clears throat> exactly as you're seeing it on the screen, soulsourcedbook.com. Soulsourcedbook.com. You can get to go to Click, which I know uh, a, a mutual friend at uh, Deb, Walk, Deb Banks Walker has mm -hmm. been there before. And uh, shout out to Deb. You're really cool person and human being, Deb. So thank you for all your support over the years for my show, my book and everything. Last thought you'd like to leave my listeners with, Christine. I would, I, I think really it's about this year and the, <clears throat> the theme of uncertainty. And 
I think part of what has thrown us off this year is that we've really been jettisoned out of any false idea that we have a whole lot of control over everything. And what it's really helped us to do is step into that energy of uncertainty and trust it and trust ourselves because ultimately that is everything that we can trust is I, I will leave you with the, the one of the things in the book that <clears throat> I call it the old rules and the soul rules and the old rules of business are one thing. And the sole rule that I want to leave you with is that your business is the territory of your soul's expansion. Mm. And when it comes to uncertainty, what it means is that your business is teaching you everything you need to know, every move you need to make. And as Oprah says, your life is always talking to you. I would say your business is always talking to you. And to really, really trust that, especially now, because we need more people who are tuned into themselves and operating from that deeper place. I, I love that. And I want to thank you so much for being on my show today, for giving me the honor of interviewing you on launch day for the Soul Source Entrepreneur. I know we're doing this on Facebook Live, but it does go to podcasts. So you can't see me on podcast, everybody holding up this beautiful cover of a book, this beautiful book, The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur. I will describe to you that I have, and I can't believe it, I have salmon colored post-its and that is Christine's like, I think favorite color based on what she's wearing and her furniture <laughs> in her home. So I, I, and it even matches the book beautifully. There are, there are books that come into our lives at the right time. And there are books that come into our lives at what feels like the wrong time. I believe that this book to all of my listeners has the potential to give you some powerful questions to ask yourself, to think about, and really some left brain stuff as well as the right brain soul stuff to get quiet with yourself around. Because as Christine put in the interview today, it's not just the soul side. It's not just the strategy side. It's those blending, that melding of the two that make entrepreneurship this beautiful journey, whether you're up or down, this journey that keeps the entrepreneur going. So I encourage you to go out, grab a copy of this book, dog ear it, comment on this Facebook thread. I know I didn't really get much chance to go look, but it'll be up here all day. And then we'll be, I'll be posting the video as well to all the platforms and it'll go to podcast as well. So I don't know when you're listening to this, which is why, Christine, I start out my show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. <laughs> and people listening around the world to my show. So I never know what time awesome. zone they're in and when they're listening to it. So at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking yourself today? I'd say be asking yourself, how quickly can I go buy a copy of Christine Kane's wonderful book, Full <laughs> Source Entrepreneur? Can you tell I am a geek loving your book here? Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for being the first podcast I do on my launch day because it I, when when we met and when I've seen your work, it really meant a lot to to do this. And I could could imagine nowhere else I'd rather start this day. So thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. True, true honor. The right questions can change your life, everybody. 
and the right people. So I encourage you to just look around yourself and say, what honors me today? What do I need to let go of today? And the question I started out this book, this interview with from the end of Christine's book, what do I know that I'm pretending not to know? Let me know. Let Christine and I know that. Uh, Join up with us on social media. Have a great day, everyone. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.